Welcome to the Oxygen Advantage podcast with your host, Oxygen Advantage founder, Patrick McKeown. With the Oxygen Advantage podcast, we aim to show how functional breathing is an essential part of a healthy and well-balanced lifestyle. Each episode, we meet experts in their field from around the world and talk about their lives, their experiences, and how they learned the importance of breathing. Join us and get inspired. Get the Oxygen Advantage. All things concussion, and uh, I think this is very pertinent. It's nice to see the great results by Ireland against England there at the weekend, St. Patrick's Day uh, 2023. And of course, I have to dig that in anyway, because I've got David Jackson, who's a former pro rugby player for Nottingham. And uh, no doubt you were you were flying the the white flag there, David. Well, uh, my my Welsh my Welsh roots, particularly within rugby, um my father was a, a Welsh schoolboy uh, international and uh, he is who introduced me to rugby and uh, very much a, a Welshman and a Welsh rugby man and is still into me. So um, I would I was supporting the the Welsh in the, within the, the Ireland-England battle and, and therefore, um, yeah, I was I wanted to see Ireland win. For sure. <laughs> so, not just saying that now to be nice. Now we're going to have no, a good podcast. So, yeah. yeah, but also, you know, Ireland, the, yeah, to see them as number one team in the world and you just, I think most people wanted to see them complete what they, I think, have been building to for like yeah, a long time. Sometime. A long yeah. time, yeah, yeah. Good stuff. That was great. Um, <laughs> this is a really, this is something, the topic that we're going to talk about is something that is, it's so common out there across many, many sports. Yeah. And your experience, your, will you tell us a little bit about your experience in it? Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> I'll try and give you the, the, the whistle stop tour, but effectively I probably had my um, first significant concussion, meaning I got taken to hospital um, during, when I was 16 playing rugby. Uh, that was a that was a trial for England actually England schoolboys um, and uh, I, I didn't make it through because I ended up in hospital. Um, I didn't even get taken off the field um, and I was running around didn't know what I was going. I've got a video of that. It's that long ago that it's on a it's actually a VHS tape, um, so I probably can't watch it anymore because no one has anything to play it on. But um, yeah, that was that was when I was sixteen, and then um, I had a. Um, series of head injuries um, and concussions throughout my rugby career, which spanned the next 15 years, uh, accumulating in um, a seizure on the field from a very small innocuous challenge, which led to a bleed on my brain um, in training when we were playing touch, we were just warming up. And that was when I was 31. And that was 10 years ago. Um, And I seem to become one of those people that... um, everyone that's played in a contact sport would know like there just seems to be some people that are more susceptible to brain injuries than others and and getting knocked out than others and actually when I was younger and back when I played it wasn't taken as seriously as it is done now and terms like oh jellyhead would be literally someone you'd be described as jellyhead if you if you just easily got knocked out we didn't because with normally someone would recover within hours or days and they're back to normal and you don't think there's any long-lasting symptoms but ironically, it's not even ironically, but what we sort of how what we understand now when we look at all of the research that's there and the, scarily, and we'll get into this, the research was there. No one was just talking about it or telling us about it. But um, we know that once you've been knocked out, if you go and return to contact sports 
your uh, signs of recovery, i.e. being symptom free, doesn't mean the brain's recovered. So you go back into your sport with a brain that isn't yet recovered yet. And just like if you went back into sprinting when your hamstring hasn't fully recovered yet, it's likely you're going to pull it again. And so the same thing happens with the brain. It's just a little bit more complex in understanding how it is recovered, how long it takes to recover, and how do we sort of measure that? And there's some interesting stuff that we can talk about with the breathing um, for that. But essentially, you become more susceptible to being um, knocked out again if you haven't let the brain fully recover. And someone like myself went through a career where it probably had never recovered because it just kept happening over and over again. And the cumulative buildup is something we weren't aware of at the time either, that it's just linked into that and that you haven't, um, fully recovered. So next time the cumulative buildup means that it doesn't take as much as a bigger impact to knock you out and the symptoms last for much longer. So after my seizure in, uh, 2013, I, it took me a year to be able to get over my physical symptoms. And what we know is once all those physical symptoms subsided, it doesn't mean the brain's, <laughs> the brain's recovered. If I'd had a brain scan, then it would have shown I had my, so I got injured in the August of 2013, I had my brain scan in the December, I had a CT scan originally, which basically shows you nothing. Um, but I had my MRI scan in the December, August, September, October, no, it's four months later. And that showed the scar on my brain from the, the bleed that I'd have had as part of the seizure. Um, and that in those four months, isn't healing itself. And so, you know, I was told that I needed to retire for obvious reasons. Um, but there's no, <laughs> there's no rule. There's no law to say that I could have carried on playing if I wanted. I could have said, no, I want to play. Um, there's guys out there on the field right now that are, there was one. Yeah. Anyway, so I'll, I'll yeah. otherwise I'll just <laughs> might show up. Sorry. Like just a couple of things here. One is you don't necessarily have to have a head on head collision. Um, if it's a really tough body blow, could that lead to concussion? Because the brain is going to be yeah. bouncing around inside in the skull. Yeah, essentially, it's the, it's the brain bouncing in. It's actually, as I said, the brain bouncing inside the inside of the skull. So often the biggest impact on the actual brain, if I get hit on the, you know, I got hit on the left-hand side, it's the right-hand side where it impacts first on, on, that, on the inside of the skull. And yeah, if someone takes a massive body blow, um, and it doesn't have to be in sport. It can be, you know, can, there's millions of cushions happening every year outside of sport as well. Um, where, yeah, just the impact of the body is then, yeah, causing that sort of whiplash effect in the, and the brain re uh, rebounding on the inside of the skull causes the, causes the damage to the tissue on the inside. You kind of mentioned that we were talking before we jumped on about there are papers dating back you know, to the 1950s, 60s, 70s, showing the effects of the brain, blood flow in the brain, the brain by regulating breathing regulates its own excitability. The information was out there. Of course, science always moves on. So, you know, that's the way it is. But one part of me is kind of saying that is this scenario that the authorities didn't want to bring to the surface because it would be like opening up a can of worms. That would it have, would it, would there have been a sense that Jesus, if we let this out, the game is going to draw a lot of negative attention? It's a very tricky area, isn't it? Yeah, um, I think there's two. I think there's two sides to it. There's 
there's the side of it of going like, okay, how how dangerous are some of these contact sports that that we that we play or take part in? Um, I was I work with um, some some fighters. There's one guy's a boxer, and you know I said to him like this from a concussion side of things is is important because I says in my in my sport the job is to the goal is to score tries and points. <laughs> the goal is not to hit someone in the head, but you might get hit in the head by uh, you know part of part of the game. I was like, where's your sport is? You've got to hit the guy in the head. Like That's what you've got to try and do. Um, so I think that there's, there, there's these two sides to it. It's like going, how much, how much of a problem is concussion is, is, is one thing within a sporting context. The other side of it, though, is in the, in the biggest part that I want to try and have conversations around and open up people's understanding of for people that are players or taking part in in sports as well as those that the medical staff and physios that work with with them is making us aware of like okay being symptom free is a great start but it doesn't mean the brain's recovered and this link between your brain's recovery and your breathing and your nervous system regulation so like utilizing heart rate variability making people very aware of those things so we can look after people better we can make better decisions ourselves as to whether we should continue with our sport or whether we should have a bit more time out um because this is something i say something that's been known like one of the earliest papers i've found is from the journal of um uh british journal of anesthesia um in 1968 by science froman was his name showing that after a brain injury or a concussion, minute ventilation increases, respiratory rate increases, and end tidal CO2 increases or arterial CO2 decreases. So the respiratory showing that the respiratory center in the brain, and it's not a surprise, is getting affected by the trauma that it's receiving and the impact that it's receiving. And that is resulting in us changing our breathing patterns, which you and I know don't, and this is, I say you and I, this, but this is because of your work. I know it's probably better because of the work you've done. I know that our, my breathing is not going to regulate itself on its own. I went, I didn't come across your work until um, probably four years after my brain injury, probably 2017, 2018, something like that. And when I did my assessments, like either Bolt score, I was eight nine seconds at a push and but completely unaware of you know is that bad like oh i'm bad at breathing what do you how how am i bad at breathing like i i'm i feel well now this is four years after my brain injury i feel fine i'm i'm running and i can run well and i'm exercising and i'm and i'm fine um but my brain yeah was was still affected and it was being shown through my breathing and mm. my nervous system i found i you know i was easily stressed i didn't sleep well um concentration focus difficult all things that have changed as a result me being able to manage my manage my states not going into not going in i've always been fine at like getting high and excited about things we were talking about i'm, I'm moving to wales like I, I'm, i've got no problem about getting excited about things but it would be the lows that i wouldn't be able to control so like depression is a um is a side of a common side effect of brain injuries um but if your brain is lacking 
adequate cerebral blood flow and therefore oxygen delivery to it, you're going to have a whole host of cognitive issues like focus, concentration, depression, poor sleep. So all the things I'm reporting, are they brain injury issues or are they breathing issues? Or it's sort of linked in together, isn't it? Yeah, this is really interesting. Just two things. Okay. So the first that you mentioned, the autonomic nervous system, um, the science that we have, everybody has at their, disto- uh, at their disposal, a means of monitoring how resilient they are, the autonomic nervous system, if it's in balance via heart rate variability. And heart rate variability is a measure of vagal tone. So what you're saying is that if a player got concussed, their HRV should be monitored in the days, weeks, and even months following the concussion. And I'll let you take it from here. Yeah, yeah I mean, so th- what we've what we see in the literature now is that within uh, I'll try and find the study for me. We can put some links in the show notes um, for these, I guess, can't we? Um, there was one study that showed that um, testing someone in terms of their um, having them having a brain scan, a functional MRI of their brain scan. You know, and there is a problem with that in that you can't constantly scan people's brain because of the exposure of the uh, of the test itself. But within, um, I think it was one. It was it was Wang Wang two. If I'm saying his pronouncing his name right, W A N G two thousand and sixteen. Have you got it up there? I'm seeing um, if this is the right one. No, there was one. This is not the right one. I'm going to come the, back out of this one. But essentially, they scanned people's brains that had a brain injury, had a concussion. Um, who, when their um, symptoms has resolved, so their physical symptoms had resolved after seven days. And they then scanned their brain on the eighth day when they're technically okay to go back into their sport potentially. And their brain was showing signs of injury still. They then also, there was also then um, another paper where they tested them seven months later and seven months later, there was still brain on a brain scan showing signs of um, injury. And it's just showing us that, okay, being symptom free is a good starting point, but it doesn't mean we're ready to go back into injury. If we want to try and minimize someone's chances of developing like dementia later on in life, um, trying to reduce the amount of um, uh, exposure they get to potential second impact syndrome would be the worst case scenario, but uh, that ongoing cumulative buildup of concussions, we need to have a way to better evaluate whether a brain is recovered or not. Things so, that we gone. Can I bring you around here again? Yeah. Because this is the paper that you were talking about. So most individuals um, with concussion, they experience symptom resolution relatively rapidly. So within yeah. seven to 10 days, and yeah. important clinical issues such as time course of neurophysiological recovery and the relationship between underlying neural recovery return to play and the risk for developing long-term problems yeah. have yet to be fully addressed. Now, yeah. this is published in 2016, and I doubt a whole lot has been discovered since then. But here's what you're talking about here. While the control group did not show any changes in cerebral blood flow. And this is blood supply to the brain. Yeah. The brain consumes, well, the brain takes about 15 to 20% of blood flow in the entire human body. So, mm. you know, it, it's obviously vital that the brain as an organ is getting sufficient blood flow. 
between the two points, concussed athletes demonstrated a significant decrease in cerebral blood flow at eight days relative to within 24 hours. And so even though they may not necessarily, so the symptoms may be resolved, but reduced blood supply to the brain is continuing in the absence of symptoms. It's kind of, you wouldn't think it's because you would think that if there's something going on with the head that you would be experiencing symptoms, but that's not necessarily the case. Yeah. Well, I think that the the things we know that the body does amazingly well is it adapts. And so you're going to have some sort of adapt getting used to just like that reduction in blood flow um, and w- where where blood's flowing, oxygen's going. And so if we're reducing blood flow, we're reducing oxygen supply to brain. And so we're reducing the thing it needs to not just function, that it needs to it needs to recover. Um, and I don't know, there aren't really there aren't really any arguments against this other than like, you know, everyone within the that that sort of community putting their hand up and going, symptom management isn't good enough. We've got it wrong. We need to actually look at some look at other things that are going on. So other things that are going on, um, we can assess people's breathing in a, in in all different aspects, um, whether it's mechanical, uh, biochemical, or psychophysiological. We can assess all those things, and we can also get a marker of their, as you said, around uh, heart rate variability. So can we we go in a little bit deeper into this? Because this is another paper. So what we're familiar with is looking at carbon dioxide and that can be measured quite easily via N-tidal CO2. So basically the person breathes into a chamber and the chamber captures the the end part of the breath. Hence it's called N-tidal CO2. And the carbon dioxide that's at the end of the breath will give you a good approximation of the carbon dioxide in the blood. And carbon dioxide in the blood is very important because it plays a role in blood flow and blood supply to the brain. And we'll pull up another paper that is just based on normal physiology that carbon dioxide is a gas that influences blood supply to the brain. So we're talking about concussion, post-concussion, there's a reduction in blood supply to the brain. Now, we also know that it's your ventilation, as you you spoke about. Yeah. It's your ventilation, how hard and how fast you breathe, the minute ventilation that determines the carbon dioxide in, in the lungs and the carbon dioxide in the blood. Let's just look at this. N-tidal CO2 at, obtained at the end of the expiratory phase has been linked to several neurobehavioral processes relevant to concussion re- recovery. Like, surely this says it all here. Well, I'm not yeah. going to say it says it all, but it says something yeah. important. In particular, the presence of hypocapnia, which is low carbon dioxide, is commonly reported following or sometimes preceding panic attacks. Periods of hyperventilation leading to hypocapnia can result in acute respiratory alkalosis. So what happens there is the loss of carbon dioxide is driving up blood pH and symptoms such as dizziness, lightheadedness, confusion, and syncope, which are also common yeah this is a concussion and this is what i'm saying this is what i'm saying like you're trying when you're even when you're trying to manage your symptoms trying to get back to playing i spent three months trying to get back to playing professional rugby before i had my mri scan and it was like how do you do you know go on a go on a, a bike in the gym and just do some light aerobic work and how do you feel do you feel dizzy do you feel lightheaded feel a bit sick well <laughs> all of those things are part of 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 that there's that mix of like okay concussion i guess i'm thinking this is almost me processing this even deeper as we're talking about this and this is why these conversations are great is going 
concussion is a brain issue we know but concussion is a breathing issue and we're only yeah. re- we're, but we're trying to assess someone and we're trying to rehabilitate someone without like that that piece of the puzzle or that cog and that's why i feel like it it almost when you've like i've been through it it almost doesn't really make sense other than and there's certainly no hope other than it's like well the advice is don't do anything you just got to let your brain recover when will it recover oh we we ha- we don't know we hope it will um you know we've seen worse scans than yours so you should be okay eventually um and that whole breathing piece it's like it, a brain injury is a breathing issue yeah i was uh putting together a list and putting together a list in the functions of the nose because we know that the the human nose has about 30 functions in the human body and as part of that list i came across this which is quite interesting the military they're of course very interested in in concussion tbis traumatic brain injuries and ptsd yeah and they found that the sense of smell is a very good indicator of neurological deficits post traumatic right. brain injury and you know we're talking about is there a simple screening tool so say for example a player gets concussed aside from scans and yeah. is there any other things that could be very simple in terms of uh, seeing where is that player at um so they found here that olfaction which is our sense of smell was a sensitive test for neurological injury associated with tbis yeah. that's one thing the bolt score that you spoke about earlier yeah. on which is a measure is a measurement of the length of comfortable breath toll time following exhalation it provides us as an indirect reference to the chemosensitivity to carbon dioxide so basically we can get some insight into how strong is the body reacting to the accumulation of carbon dioxide by yeah. virtue of the length of time of comfortable breath hold time both score is likely to be low then with somebody yeah. with concussion yeah. and then we know that when your both score is low you've got symptoms you're more prone to symptoms of hyperventilation now we also know when the both score is low and there's a strong chemosensitivity to carbon dioxide that there's a reduced sensitivity of the bioreflex to pressure receptors in the major blood vessels, which implies that the autonomic nervous system is in the state of stress, increased yeah. sympathetic drive. The body yeah. doesn't heal itself when it's in this constant fight or flight response. Yeah. And it, it's kind of, then we think of the symptoms associated with concussion. There seems to be a crossover between some of those symptoms, stress, yeah. maybe PTSD, poor sleep, anxiety, yeah. panic disorder, hyperventilation. It's almost that it's a kind of a, a pool of different yeah. symptoms. Um, so yeah. you're, and you're. I, I don't. And I don't think you can. You can't separate them out, can you? You can't go. Oh, is because. And this is where we often do these things. In it's highly unscientific, but we do it in science where we we sort of try to separate something so we can understand it. But the body is all connected. So someone's take, take the rugby player that's had a concussion and he's had terrible sleep. Well, he's potentially prone to bad sleep because he's, because of his neck circumference from being a big dude. Like that, that's one thing he's, um, you know, he snores because of, of a whole host of those things. And then you've got like his brain injury and which is, you know, literally affected his brain, but then you've got the effect that that's had on his breathing 
and it's like well which which one of those things are the thing and it's like well it's all and and this body is under more stress because it's more because it's dealing with that trauma so the nervous system's more sympathetic to it, and that's going to affect the sleep so you know the unscientific thing to do but what we tend to do is like which one of the things is it rather than going well it's all of it and this is where i then keep going back to breathing though because you go well it's all of it but with breathing we can do something and this is where it goes this is where it becomes really important for somebody and i speak from someone that's been going you're like wandering around in the wilderness for months you can't think clearly you can't sleep you can't you just can't do anything you can't manage your emotions all sorts going on everyone's symptoms are slightly different but you have no hope when you're told to literally sit in a dark room and don't stimulate the brain and not only does that not give you any hope it actually isn't helpful for what we know the brain needs it needs oxygen it needs blood flow restoring to it and by not doing anything you aren't helping that happen and it won't regulate itself it will just adapt to that non-stimulated environment um so giving people hope as well as physiologically something like a breathing exercise that's going to help them increase um, cerebral blood flow or improve cerebral blood flow and oxygen supply and just cognitively being going here here's something that you can do this will help your brain recover you know i was depressed sat on my sofa eating bags of sweets because i was told i couldn't do anything now yeah so the poor diet that, that created isn't going to have helped me the mental state it's not in. the poor diet as well of course it's not going to be but, good but jacko would it be common for rugby players to get anxious as a result of concussion because they're thinking it's impacting their game it's impacting their future exactly exactly and you and you've seen people go before you and it's like is this is this going to happen to you know is is what happened to so-and-so going to happen to me am i it, it, it's i mean the, the the psychology side of it's multifaceted in that like typically within rugby um you don't get you don't get five year contracts it's one or two year contracts so they're very short they tend to have a clause in them that if you're injured for more than six months they can just cancel it and you're not paid like a footballer that you've got you haven't got millions of pounds in the bank if you lose like i lost my my job effectively i and my career i couldn't carry on that career you have to start again now with most rugby players um that is going to happen whether they retire through injury or not they're going to retire just because they've got too old like everyone is going to have to um have a new career afterwards so but you can plan for that whereas yeah. a concussion is something that you're not. so here's the point though hyperventilation is it yeah. happening as a result of the concussion or is it happening because of the anxiety or maybe both and hyperventilation? What that means is um, for people who don't know what, yeah. what it means, it's when your breathing gets a little bit faster and or harder. So basically you might be sighing more, you're breathing more upper chest. You might feel that you're not getting enough air and because you're breathing more air chronically, it's causing too much carbon dioxide to be removed from the blood through the lungs. And it's the loss of carbon dioxide that is reducing blood flow and oxygen delivery to the brain. And this then in turn is increasing neuronal excitability. And there's a host of issues associated with this. So coming back to a couple of points, you're talking about breathing exercise, but not all breathing exercises are the same. And I think yeah. that's an important discussion yeah. because 
I, for example, I'm doing, I started yoga, by the way. Which oh, I yeah. Cool. yeah. Show me your down dog. <laughs> yes, no, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, give me about six months. Okay. No, no, but uh, yeah, I was doing it this morning. But your breathing during the yoga is going to be good though. I do breathe, breathing as, well, the little thing I do know about is a little bit about breathing. So yeah, breathing nice and light during the yoga. But I was listening to some of the people on YouTube and it's kind of interesting because when they're talking you through the poses, they're telling you to take these full big breaths. But that's not the information that you would want if you're, you're concussed because taking the full big breaths is only going to reduce blood flow to the brain further. Yeah. So let's have a conversation on that in yeah. terms of what exercises would you do? And when you're working with somebody who's concussed, what exercises would you give them in terms of how is how can we improve blood flow? Now, before we start, yeah, I'll just show a paper to show the science that if you're wondering what's the science behind what we're talking about, it's just a normal um, physiological reaction that yeah carbon dioxide once you start to gently increase carbon dioxide in the blood which by the way carbon dioxide in your blood is entirely influenced by your ventilation so it's whatever volume of air you breathe that determines the partial pressure of carbon dioxide in the lungs and it's the partial pressure of carbon dioxide in the lungs that determines the partial pressure of carbon dioxide in the blood leaving the lungs so the pressure of carbon dioxide in the blood is entirely down to the volume of air that we yeah. breathe. We have influence over it. We can, yeah. in two to three minutes, even in less, we can increase blood flow to the brain. And, you know, yeah. it's so easy, isn't it? Yeah. You know. But I've got, I'll get um, two two examples. One, uh, I put I put out a, a podcast talking about this um, this morning and had a, a, a reply from someone that's... Um, sadly he said you know you're talking about concussions and brain injuries like I, he's like i've not had a brain injury as a, as, a, as an impact but i've got a brain tumor um sadly and but he said he's been um he was like right so in, in in terms of improving you're talking about there's some exercise i can do to improve oxygen supply and blood supply to yeah. the brain to help with healing what um what I would do is just to tease it out, especially just to show people that some, because sometimes people think breathing exercises or any breathing exercise. No, no, there's well, specific breathing exercises. So he'd been designed. doing, so he'd been doing, um, Wim Hof breathing. The no. thing with, the thing with concussion though, and, and hypoxia is like, we don't want to stress the brain and the nervous system is already stressed. So like doing, trying to increase blood flow through, gentle breath holes like exercise one in with through the co2 mechanism there may be a mechanism for um strong breath holds or all the the wim hof method that drops it down low but that being a stressor the nervous system as you'd said like we're already in fight or flight the it doesn't need more of that um yeah this is a really good point because wim hof method is so popular out there hyperventilation is going to get rid of carbon dioxide so hyperventilation, I wouldn't encourage somebody to hyperventilate if they have any brain injury. Yeah. Um, and even the breath hold following the hyperventilation, carbon dioxide doesn't even, you know, if I look at Cox's paper, it didn't return to baseline. But let's just bring in a small bit of science here. So carbon dioxide influences blood supply to the brain. And normally during rest, carbon dioxide, it kind of, it stays in around th three millimeters of mercury. It doesn't change by all that much. So carbon dioxide doesn't change a whole lot throughout the day, unless, of course, you have sleep apnea. 
But if, for example, cerebral blood flow, so cerebral blood flow increases by three to four percent per one millimeter increase of the partial pressure of arterial carbon dioxide reaching its highest level when the PaCO2 is elevated by 10 to 20 millimeter of mercury. So, Jacko, you spoke about doing the small breath holds. And it's a really easy exercise. You breathe in, breathe out, you hold your breath for five, four, three, two, one, then you let go. You just breathe normally for about 10 to 15 seconds. That is going to increase uh, cerebral blood flow. Um, that's going to increase carbon dioxide yeah. by, I would say, by about three millimeters of mercury. And in turn, then it will increase cerebral blood flow by up to 10%. Now, the breathe light exercise will also do it. Yeah. And even if you go for a walk with your mouth closed, carbon dioxide is going to increase in the blood. Now, if you run with your mouth closed, carbon dioxide will increase in the blood by maybe four millimeters of mercury, which will increase blood flow to the brain by between 12 and 16%. If you do a longer breath hold, it will increase it further, but we don't want to be doing long breath holds yeah. with concussion. So there's a, there's a whole range of exercises that a person who's concussed can do. Yeah. Um, that's well, it's very gentle. Yeah. There's, there's two things to say on that. Like one is that um, it won't take much in terms of uh, in the acute phase of a concussion, it won't take much for someone to trigger their symptoms. So if they go for a walk, that could trigger their symptoms. Or if the walking is okay, going for a, a fast walk or a jog might trigger their symptoms. And so what we want to do is we do want to, so exercise in itself, low level aerobic exercise helps with increasing blood flow to the brain and so someone that is understanding about concussion recovery but not about the role breathing plays will now tell us actually rather than doing nothing you want to do some very light aerobic work that takes you up to but doesn't doesn't trigger your symptoms which, which is great well which is with, with which is with great advice but like you say you've you've potentially going to try and do some low level aerobic work without an understanding that your breathing mechanics and chemosensitivity has been changed and probably your psychological relationship with that air hunger has changed. And so if you're going there, not understanding the breathing, the, the, the part the breathing plays, you may go and do some aerobic exercise, but actually mouth breathe, mouth breathe too fast. And then actually it might, could end up being a little bit counterproductive. It so, could have the opposite effect. Yeah. So try ensuring that you're doing some low level aerobic work that doesn't trigger your symptoms where you are trying to breathe light. You are trying to breathe quieter, you are trying to be slower. And that's your point of the note, keeping it nasal. So in and out through the nose. Now for really bad brain injuries, you won't even be able to go out walking. And then this is where we can provide real hope for people because we can still do something. You can be sat down station, you can be lying down in your bread and you can be doing the exercise with, with short, gentle little holds. And it, if, if five seconds feels like too much, you can just do it for one second or two seconds and gradually build yeah. our way up. And and the breathing light exercise, where we're actually practicing breathing less, all of which you've got plenty of videos of, of Patrick and myself doing these things. Um, they're something people can do to increase, get the increase in blood flow that exercise gets without doing any exercise. And that's where, when we understand breathing, we can really help... Um, with our brains. When we understand how breathing affects the nervous system, a second point why this is important, we've already said that the nervous system is under stress and we're more sympathetically dominant. We can measure people's HRV. Dr. Jay Wells, I know you've done a lot of work with him. I had a conversation literally last week about this, where he's got a device that can measure real-time HRV, which is going to be great for people that have access to that. Where post-injury, post-brain injury, post-concussion, 
average is about three to four months before baseline heart rate variability normalizes. So the body's staying in that state of stress. So the breathing light and the many short breath holes exercise are both like calming, dam regulating, parasympathetic promoting exercises. Whereas stronger breath holds or Wim Hof breathing or any type of hyperventilation exercise with some long breath holds, that is a stressor on the nervous system. And your nervous system is already going like, whoa, like we need to just calm the hell down. And so if we're, if we're not sensible and not educated and not making informed decisions about what tools we're going to use to help improve our, our brain's health, then we can be, and this is what, where I think it's really important that we talk about these things because it, it, it really makes me feel sad to know this, that like there's people out there trying to do something to help, but they're actually picking the wrong thing just because they haven't understood the process. So um, they're two really big things that we can actually get the benefits that low level aerobic exercise will do for your blood flow without actually doing exercise, which means anybody, no matter how severe your brain injury is, well, unless you've literally can't control your own breathing, but generally speaking, you, know, you understand what I'm saying. Um, and also it can be down regulating for the nervous system. So even if you can't, if you haven't got technology to be able, or a device to be able to measure your HRV in real time, um, even though those things are available, if you can't, it's not everyone's going to have access to that. I can, we can guarantee you that, well, you could do something like just take your, just take your heart, just take your pulse. Not okay. The pulse isn't a measure of your heart variability, but after doing some of the breathing light exercises or the many short breath holds, you'll see, your breathing rate and your pulse rate calming, sure which is a good sign. And you'll feel better. Um, That's can I share? Oh, God, I, I, of I course. want to share a, 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 just one client I'd worked with, but what, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll share that after what we're going to say. Yeah. I think the point that you made there is when you do the breathing exercises, you should expect to see a drop in your heart rate. And that will indicate then that you've stimulated the vagus nerve, which has secreted acetylcholine, which is causing a lowering of the heart rate. So your body is going into recovery. Now, this can be used yeah. by anybody anyway, that relationship. And it's always the speed of the exhalation. So as Jacko was talking about, if somebody was lying in bed yeah. because of injury, they can be really softening and slowing down their breath and especially focusing on slowing down the speed of the exhalation with the view of taking less air into the body. So the carbon dioxide can't leave the body quickly enough through the lungs. Yeah. This increases carbon dioxide in the blood. The person feels air hunger. They know there's going to be improved blood flow to the brain. I think the bold score could be useful though as well. So yeah. if people don't have access to HRV, um, they could use the bold score, and yeah. uh, which is you take a normal breath in and out through your nose, you pinch your nose, you hold your breath and you time it in seconds until you feel the first definite desire to breathe. And what we'll do it towards the end, because I think... We've thrown in a, quite a bit of information, but we've tied together nicely anyway towards the end. Yeah. So your, your case study, you were working with somebody. Yeah. <coughs> so, um, yeah, uh, an, an older gentleman um, had had a, a concussion 18 months before his first session with me. He had no idea that there was anything to do with his breathing. The only reason why he, he was doing a session with me or a series of sessions with me was because he was seeing a, uh, a private GP that I do some work with. And, you know, we'd had plenty of discussions around this and she was, um, she's trained in the auction advantage. I've trained her in it. And she, um, you know, she, she's able to make an assessment to the point of like, just from having a conversation with him, she was like, I think his breathing is really needs to, he would benefit from like, Wow, could you imagine breathing. if doctors were trained in breathing? 
And they could see their patients walking in with the mouth open, breathing hard, fast and shallow. Anyway, so, that's a different conversation. Yeah, no, no. But so so we do we do the we do this we do four sessions via Zoom. Yeah. First session, his bolt score was like three seconds. His respiratory rate was um twenty five breaths per minute. Twenty twenty four, yeah. Um and um, you know, I asked him to we did like a little high low to and it, it literally you could just see it's so like chest was nearly like just just pounding. And it was, it was a great guy. He was, you know, retired. He was, um, uh, so something had happened, you know, he was like, oh, I'm not very good on zoom and, and the internet and all this sort of stuff. And he was like, I was like, how, how, how's, how's this morning? Be? How, how are you doing sort of today? Just a bit chit chat at the beginning. Um, and he was like, uh, he'd had the power out. Something had happened with his internet. He was like, oh, blah, blah. And, and I was like, oh, do, and, and how do you feel now? Do you feel sort of, is, do you feel a bit stressed? He was like, no, I, uh, like his proper old school was just like, now, there's a problem i sorted it and now i'm talking to you so what's the matter and i'm like okay. <laughs> we've then assessed his breathing i'm like how how does it feel how does anything how did anything and it was just like not what uh, nothing are those scores good or bad like nothing and no no awareness at all of how his breathing was but then we talk about things like his sleep really bad his um energy levels um Oh yeah, I used to like going out walking, but there's a hill up outside my house, and as soon as I try and walk up that, I'm completely out of breath. It's like okay, so you are aware that your breathing is different now. Let's talk about it. anyway. So we go through. We do all we do is literally what we've just discussed there. We do many short breath holds, but we're doing like half his bolt score, so we're literally pausing for one or two seconds. Yeah. Um, Gradually over a few weeks, he builds up to five second pauses. His bolt score increases to like 10 seconds and 10 seconds is still a low bolt score, but he but feels like a different, different person. Difference. Yeah. We're practicing breathing light and breathing quietly. So literally two exercises, the, the breath, softening the, the breath, breathing light, breathing quietly, trying to breathe a bit slower, calming the nervous system down many short breath holes to help his body and brain recalibrate that relationship with carbon dioxide. And within um, three sessions, I got a really lovely uh, bit of feedback from from the doctor that he'd fed back to her that like it's literally he didn't even realize at the start that he needed this, but it's completely changed his life from where he was. And and to reiterate, his brain injury, his concussion happened 18 months ago. And like I'm saying, and like the research is showing us, it just won't normalize on its own. He just gets you just get stuck in this 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 stress state of of breathing. And it's not difficult. It's not complicated to to introduce just two simple exercises like that. And yeah. now what does he do? He sleeps all the way through the night, wakes up feeling great. His energy and his focus during the day is great. Um, he now goes and walks, uh, I don't know if he was saying like a five or 10 mile walk, but he, he's back to walking and enjoying exercise. And I think it's just a really great, it, it's a really great um, scenario. It's tremendous. Just I know it's just one person, yeah, um, yeah. you know, so N is one on that. But, you know, I have my own scenario as well. Yeah, um, I've had a brain scan that's shown um, now 10 years later. I've just had the results from a follow up MRI scan that the the scar on my brain that was on my original scan, they can't see that it, the brain has healed itself and i feel that it's because of the it's because of your work it's because of the it's because of the the the, the retraining of the breath that is 
improve cerebral overflow, improve oxygen supply, creating the conditions for the body and the brain to heal itself. I very yeah. sadly have got a number of friends that I played rugby with that have gone through similar, well, uh, quite a lot of them actually, less severe um, incident of like the, 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 the major like head trauma that I had at the end, the result of that, of a, of a bleed on the brain in a seizure, but not as dramatic as that, but their follow-up scans are their their brains getting worse yeah so there's 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 a lot of work to be done to get this to get this out there and it's not just my like little world is rugby but it's not as you said it's not just rugby it's a whole host of sports and it's not even within sports it's outside of sports yeah um, so we'll kind of draw it together so yeah. at the very start we were talking about that um after concussion which is not necessarily a head-on head but it could be a body blow that the brain is jumping about inside in the skull and even wearing a helmet you can still get concussed i'm assuming yeah. and and you don't have to be knocked out that, that that's obviously another a big another big confusion right you don't have to be knocked out for it to be a concussion for your brain to be injured um i think that's people that oh no i wasn't knocked out i wasn't out cold for 10 seconds and sometimes even the the it's a, the the knockout if they, even if there is a knockout sometimes it can be such a, a short split space of time uh, that you wouldn't even notice anyway. But regardless, you don't have to be knocked out at all to have sustained an injury to the brain. So after the injury, then it has been shown that there's regardless of the symptoms, the symptoms could have gone away, mm. but there's a reduction of blood flow and blood supply to the brain. And with yeah. that, there's going to be a reduction in, in oxygen delivery to the brain. And more there, stress on the nervous system. And plus Actually, you've got the hyperventilation or the anxiety yeah. from the concussion, because I suppose it would be normal for the person to be thinking, oh my God, what's happening? Yeah. Where's this going? What effect is it going to have in my career, especially if you're in sports, etc." And in tidal CO2, we were talking about then. So what's happening there when we are breathing too hard and too fast, we get rid of too much carbon dioxide and that's going to reduce blood flow to the brain and oxygen delivery. So not just the blood supply, but because of what's called the Bohr effect, there's also reduced oxygen delivery going to the brain. Yeah. This in turn then is increasing brain cell excitability. And uh, there is a paper going back to 1988 that the brain, we wrote about this first. It's kind of, I wrote a book back in 2012 called anxiety free and uh this paper by balestrino and samyan the brain by regulating breathing controls its own excitability so how does the brain regulate breathing it's the volume of breathing and it influences then carbon dioxide in the blood so what we're saying then is that you you can have simple screening tools bold mm. score which is simply yeah. a measurement of breath hold time, heart rate variability, um, heart rate possibly. Yeah. So there's the screening side of it. And then introducing small little breathing techniques and bearing in mind that not all breathing techniques are the same. You don't yeah. want to be doing a breathing technique that's a stressor to the body and mind. Yeah. And a stressor breathing technique is, well, anytime that we want to stress the body and mind with breathing, we could just hyperventilate. and That stresses. Yeah. Or we do a long breath hold and that's a stressor, but you don't want to go there with yeah. concussion. We have to be going really, really gentle. So you were talking about doing small breath holds, even if yeah. it's one or two seconds, three seconds, four seconds, breathing light, 
breathing really slow with a relaxed exhalation, softening everything or doing mild aerobic exercise with the mouth closed. Yeah. So start with, start with being static and start with the slower breathing. Start with the, if you've, if you've used the bolt score um, to assess your breathing, then that little pause that you're going to create no more than half of that bolt score. And then as you, as you feel like you're getting um, uh, more, um, uh, almost like resilience to be able to then do some aerobic exercise, like go for a walk. And as you said, like with the mouth closed and breathe for nose and try to actually, don't let your breathing just go and do whatever it wants. Try to breathe calmly, try to breathe, uh, you know, LSD, try to breathe light, slow, light, slow, deep. Um, yeah. During that and then gradually build up your aerobic intensity very, very gently and slowly. But it yeah. can start with static whilst you're lying in your bed, if that's if that's where you're at with your recovery. Do you do one-on-ones? I don't do one-on-ones. Um, uh, yeah. Do you yeah. do one? So yeah. you work individually with clients? With, with clients, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so maybe just towards the end, just mention how people may be able to drop your line yeah, um, sure. in terms of, of course, they can go with what we're talking about here, but I'm assuming some people might feel a little bit more comfortable if they have somebody to work with. So, yeah, yeah. Um, what else? What were the other points that we were talking about? Oh, yeah. How often should we be doing it throughout the day? um yeah five minutes every hour yeah like i would typically start if somebody is feeling quite stressed or i i haven't actually worked with somebody with tbis so you know i'm thinking about say maybe somebody with chronic fatigue syndrome or somebody with long covid you have to go really easy so five minutes every hour would be the most sometimes it might be two to three minutes every hour yeah so little pockets of time but spread out throughout the day yeah yeah i try to just if i'm working with someone individually we try to just work with them on like what does your what does your routine look like what does what feels um what feels like you're going to be able to do uh, not not create because we can for sometimes create more stress for the individual when we say right i want you to do it for 10 minutes every hour which might be great for them to do but if they don't then do it they then feel like they've failed it's like i literally after session one i start with look you've never done this you've never done any breathing exercises so if you just do it once it's better than nothing but hopefully when you do it once you'll feel calmer you'll feel a bit better you'll be encouraged to do it again throughout the day and then we look at when throughout the day is going to be most successful for you so that's if people are thinking about doing some exercises think about when is it going to be appropriate for you to do and it's a little bit of just understanding yourself some people set an alarm that goes off every hour and they'll stick to that i've never been able to do that for me it's like right when i go and do x then i'm going to do this when i'm driving the car rather than listen to radio i'll i'll do light breathing when i'm doing the dishes i'll do you know i i just attach it to the habit yeah which is good you're stacking it which is great It's the way I do it too, but uh, yeah, no, it's it's the it's the easiest way. It, we kind of can ensure we're doing it then. Yeah. Um, so, what else is there? Getting them out closed, of course, is going to be really important. And just to say it again, like if people feel that breathing is all about taking this deep breath, don't even go there. Not if yeah. you've got concussion, because the last thing you want to be doing is even reducing carbon dioxide even further. Pay attention to your breath. Jack was talking about the client that he was working with with a bolt score of three seconds. That person is going to have labored breathing, yeah. upper chest breathing, irregular breathing. The person is going to feel that they are not getting enough air, even during rest. So if you're feeling that your breathing is an effort, it's not a good sign. 
And of course, how you breathe during rest is going to influence how you breathe during exercise. So I think, Jacko, part of it is the awareness as well, you know, by people just tuning into their breathing. And uh, yeah, I I think that that the that awareness starts with education, understanding physiologically what's going on, because then you can make the right decision. Because you say uh, we, we all we understand and we appreciate that those sensations of feeling like you want to take a, a bigger breath make you then think that or you've then and you you maybe do take a bigger breath and you take a then big breath in but you take a big breath out you notice the big breath out that's dumping off co2 whereas me uneducated or not understanding i just noticed that i took a big breath in and now i feel better again yeah. So next time I have that sensation, I do it again. And I had a client um, this last uh, last week that was saying, I literally do, um, this was an anxiety, so not a brain injury, but anxiety. <clears throat> but still with the anxiety piece, we still got a, a CO2 issue with, with, with the brain. And as we were talking through, she had this realization, she was like, I have probably every minute or so I just have to take a big breath. And then she was saying, and it was like, she was starting, and this is what's really nice when someone starts to piece it together themselves again. So what we're saying is actually, and when you see that realization happening, that's when I know as a coach, I've done a good job mm. rather than just telling them what to do. Um, yeah. yeah. It's the experience of it. In other words, the person is putting the pieces together Yeah, and we could break it down a little bit more, you know, that one big breath, can be removing between seven to 16 millimeters of mercury carbon dioxide from the blood. Well, is that how um, much it can be? Yeah. Between seven in and 16 breath. millimeter in one big breath. Yeah. And uh, for every one millimeter drop of CO2, it can reduce blood flow to the brain by 2%. So that one big right. sigh that's yeah. happening every minute, and I know it's normal to sigh, but it's not normal to sigh every minute. Yeah. Um, that can be reducing blood flow to the brain by between 14 to 32%. Now, I know that sounds a lot, but there is a paper by McGarian dating back to 1983. Yeah. And that reference has been referenced quite a number of times as well. So we're going to, we're, we're about an yeah. hour in. So I'm just yeah. conscious of people's time. Research is really, this needs some research. But before, we're not having a chat here based on thinking about stuff just that's pulled from the sky what we're talking about is normal physiology in the human being. If we are hyperventilating and carbon dioxide goes lower than normal or carbon dioxide can be fluctuating, we can have the symptoms of hyperventilation, but have normal CO2. So it's uh, tricky enough in terms of because carbon dioxide fluctuates throughout the day, but it's the reduction of carbon dioxide in the blood that causes reduced blood flow to the brain. So there's a number of things that there's no risk involved with nose breathing with yeah. the small little breath holes, with light breathing, with nose breathing during aerobic exercise. There's no risk at all with that. That's just like relaxation. Um, yeah. And what's more, though, you're actually in, in influencing your states and improving blood circulation. But wouldn't it be wonderful to get some research in this? Yeah, I mean, I think this, there's some very specific research, yes. Um, over the last, you know, over the last six months, I've been really looking at what is out there already and a lot there's a lot very specific to brain injuries or concussion and breathing um our brain injuries concussions and the nervous system and we know that the nervous system and breathing are are linked 
um, you know, some of those ones we referenced from the beginning back to like the 1960s. And then over the last 10, 20 years, um, there is some very specific stuff on concussions um, in sport. Um, and that's where the stuff around like just being symptom free isn't isn't good enough. Um, there's a very uh, there's a it's a little bit of a scary one from Lennon in in this year 2023, where just three concussions they see after just three a significant um, decrease in cognitive um, ability after just three. Not three like in a row in the same game or something like that, as in just three in someone's career. Um, and that's but that's think about things without starting a whole nother conversation but what's happening with there is after one if you don't have another one you haven't got any chance of there being a cumulative build-up once you've had a second one you potentially had a second one off the back of the first one having not fully recovered and then once you've had the third one is then compounded things and then that cognitive decline and what we're what we would what would what we almost really need would like a longitude like a longer study that goes okay we're now going to take these people through like what I've done over the last, uh, you know, first four years of my brain injury, no breathing training, the last six years, lots of breath retraining and making significant changes in markers like my bolt score, like my heart rate variability. And then, and then having a follow-up scan that shows that it has fully recovered. Now that doesn't mean I'm going to go back and play rugby now all of a sudden, um, because I don't think it would still be a good idea for me, but it shows um it shows that the i guess what what research there isn't is on the interventions we're talking about yeah. directly yeah. Uh, but there is there is plenty in the literature that says brain injuries influence breathing and the nervous system negatively and that the major yeah. issue with a brain recovering is cerebral blood flow and oxygen supply to the brain what we also know is there's a load of research within the literature that shows breathing helps and hopefully we've understood from this conversation about that breathing helps influence the nervous system helps influence cerebral flow and oxygen supply to the brain so we're just putting those two things together and saying here's a solution and then i've got some case studies where i say and it's and it's life-changing for people yeah um if that's not enough for people to to want to utilize it with um if you're a physio or a doctor that's working with these types of patients and the advice you're saying is purely some very gentle um, breath holds and some very light breathing all through the nose. There's no side yeah. effects. And there's nothing we've been, nothing we have any good. It, it's true. And like we have been working with this as well for 21 years. Yeah. Um, since the 17th of March, 2002. So, you know, the exercises are so gentle. We don't go in the extremes with exercises and, um, but Jacko, if somebody wants to reach out to you, um, how will they find you? Um, probably e- either just a direct email, david.jackson at auctionadvantage.com or um, if you're on social media, um, jacko.david.jackson on Instagram is easiest. Yeah. Or if you just Google David Jackson Oxygen Advantage, you'll pull them up yeah. anyway and all his details from our website. It's a pleasure. It's a great conversation. No, and I think this is a really important conversation worth having. Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to to, to carry on pushing uh, this area of research as well. Good stuff. Thank you for listening to the Oxygen Advantage podcast. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and maybe take the time to leave us a review. The Oxygen Advantage podcast is available from all your podcast providers.